Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by audible.com. We are offering you a free trial. You can go to audibletrial.com slash business growth and sign up for that trial. And then of course, listen to the audiobooks, but also explore the other content that is available to you. I think you're gonna be um, pleasantly surprised if you haven't been there already. Over the years, this podcast has uh, gained recognition as a great resource for small business owners, uh, business leaders, sales professionals. Uh, we are fortunate to be included on lists of the best podcasts to listen to for varieties of reasons, and that's because of the guests. These are folks who have expertise in particular areas of business, and they join me for a conversation where they share that expertise with all of you. Today we are in luck. My guest today is Ruth King. Ruth is president of Business Ventures Corporation. Well known as the Profitability Master, Ruth has a passion for helping small businesses grow profits and wealth. After 12 years on the road, she knew there had to be a better way to reach business people. She began the first television-like broadcast in 2002, launching her own TV channel. Ruth is also the author of a new book called Profit or Wealth, Simple Rules for Sustainable Business Growth. Thanks so much for joining me today, Ruth. Thank you for having me, Diane. Looking forward to it. Me too. And, and we're going to be talking today, and it's such an important topic, we're going to be talking today about uh, salvaging 2020 <laughs> profitably, which, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, <laughs> yes, I'm kidding. <laughs> right? I know. Let's all take a deep breath. Okay. So, um, but but I want to start with these these rules of business wealth that you have discovered. And uh, first, I'm curious how you discovered them, and then 
I'm wondering if you would share three of those roles. Okay. I have been working with small businesses since 1981. And so over the years, consulting with them, giving them the tools and processes to grow profitably, I really realized a lot of them did not build the wealth and just build profits. And I've seen several business owners who were incredibly profitable go out of business. And probably there were a lot more this year simply because of COVID. Um, if you have you know, more than 20% of your eggs in one basket, you have the likelihood of going out of business if you don't build the wealth, even if you're profitable. I had one of my clients who had 80% of his business in restaurants oh. um, at the start of the pandemic. And wow. he was like, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And had he not pivoted and found other industries who were not, you know, who were considered essential, right. he would have been out of business too. Very profitable, but you know, COVID has shown us that profits do not matter as much as building wealth. I've had many other of my clients either call me or send me an email that basically says, thank you for making us put money away. And we can talk about how easy that is uh, simply because I have X number of dollars in the bank. I have a line of credit for Y and I can survive anything. And that's the idea for building wealth. And the reality is, is if you're profitable and you don't build wealth, the likelihood is that you can still go out of business. So that's a long answer to your question <laughs> about how I've got this done. Um, but you know, one of the biggest rules of wealth is, is to pay attention to your balance sheet because your P&L tells you profits, obviously, but your balance sheet actually tells you whether you have continued profits or profitability. And your balance sheet is more important than your P&L. Yet most business owners don't understand their, their balance sheets, but it's really easy. It's not hard. It's, you know, accounting was developed by the um, Venetian monks to have because they had to take care of the rich Italians' money back 1,200, 1,300, whatever it is. And they ended up having to make it really easy because they didn't have QuickBooks. They didn't have a calculator. You know, they had to do it by hand, addition and subtraction. <laughs> Oh, right. Hand and feet. Right. Yeah, we got, got it. Plenty, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and Diane, before you tell me that the Chinese had abacuses, which they did at that point, they weren't talking to the Italians. So the Italians didn't have the opportunity <laughs> to use an abacus. <laughs> it's so funny, too, because the abacus is exactly what came into my mind. Yeah. When you were talking about that. Yeah. Uh, apparently it comes into everybody's. It mind. does. It absolutely does. <laughs> But they didn't talk to each other back then, so we couldn't use them or they couldn't use them. It was literally pen and paper. Wow. You know, and nothing's changed in almost a thousand years. That's so, okay. you know, the reality is, is it was easy. It still is easy. You just have to, you know, spend you know 30 minutes or so, maybe an hour and figure out what it's telling you. And it's not hard. I mean, read a book, go to a class. But why don't why don't small business owners? Because I mean, this really is an issue. Yeah. Um, you know, think about you know, none of us, including me, when I first started, we started our businesses to do the financial side of business. Come on, true. You know, we have products we wanted to sell and services we wanted to provide, and accounting and bookkeeping were the last things on our mind. And until you get into trouble, till you can't make payroll. 
until a, a customer or a vendor calls you on the phone and says, if I don't have payment by X date, um, you know, you're not getting, I'm cutting you off type things. You don't start paying attention to your books. Um, most people don't anyway. Right, right. And it usually takes getting in trouble. That's why, you know, as a general rule, I don't work with startups simply because wow. they don't know what they don't know yet. Yeah. And smart people actually come to, you know, come to a class. I have a class called Making Your Financial Statements Fun and Sexy. And I have an in-person one called Building Profit and Wealth. And they spend the day or two days or the online time to do this. And the light bulb goes on and they never, ever, ever have a problem. They know, they know what they're coming out to. But we also think that um, accounting and bookkeeping are hard. And yes. I think I think CPAs have done a real done us a really disservice by making accounting terminology into Greek. You know, we're in the U.S. You know, in Greece, they, they probably made it into Chinese. Um, <laughs> but it it really is not hard. It's um, learning a few terms, and then looking at a P and L and balance sheet and. and saying what do they actually mean and doing a little bit of addition and subtraction multiplication and division <laughs> nothing more than that um and then then they don't understand or, or don't realize the difference between bookkeeping and financials um i totally agree that they should hire or all small business people should hire a bookkeeper simply because you're you as an owner or you as the manager or you as the founder don't need to be doing debits and credits and doing the day-to-day -day bookkeeping stuff let's leave it at that. right right and however you cannot abdicate the responsibility for looking at your financial statements every single month um takes you less than a half hour a month to look at them do what you need to do and make good business decisions based on accurate data so there's a difference between the bookkeeping side and the financial side. Get rid of the bookkeeping side because that's not what you do or shouldn't, you know, unless you're a bookkeeper right. or CPA right. and oversee the financial side, which is the review of profit and loss statements and balance sheets. And that's what will tell you what's going on with your business. Okay. I think this is, this is so valuable. I, I remember when the pandemic first hit, that the conversation around small businesses was that because small business owners don't typically put money away, don't save, they didn't have any sort of cushion to even try and figure out what was going on and, and to give them the opportunity to even pivot. That is true. Um, and one of the rules of wealth is to save, you know, save money. And the easiest way I know of to save money is to save one percent of every dollar that comes in the door it is not hard to do that it is you have to do it but it's not hard to do it so if you get a check in the door for a thousand bucks say that leaves you ten ten dollars goes into savings and that leaves you nine hundred ninety dollars um to do whatever you're going to do pay bills pay payroll whatever we can all survive on nine hundred and ninety dollars and you're going well ten dollars is not that much true in, in the individual, it's not. But for every $1,000 you're saving $10, it actually builds up very, very, very quickly. Um, and I will caution everybody because I've had this happen to a client. Um, when you start getting 40, 50, 100, 200,000 dollars in a savings account, 
do not go to the big boys or the big girls toy store. <laughs> it happened. <laughs> and I was pissed. <laughs> that. What 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 is what is the thinking there? It's time for a reward. Hey, I have all this money. I mean, yep, I, I had a really phenomenal year. I have a lot of money and savings, and I deserve a. Can I say it? Sure. A boat. A boat. Otherwise known as big boy's toy. Well, that and and a a hole in the water that you pour money into. I mean. <laughs> The boat doesn't stop costing money when you buy it. I understand oh that. <laughs> wow, a boat. You know, very profitable year. Forgot that we were building wealth with it. And so right. he, he realized how much he had to do to repay that money. And the next year was very, very profitable also. And so I called him on the phone and I said, you can do the same thing this year. And he goes, nope, I gave my <laughs> stupid gene to my competitors. True story. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God. Yeah. I mean, at least he learned the lesson, right? Yeah, he did. Oh, it, was, my. it was a hard lesson to learn because it took him about yeah. years to rebuild it. Oh, wow. That's a really good point. Yeah. So that, that's one of the rules of wealth is just, you know, save money. Take 1%, put it away. Do not go to the big boys toy store or big girls toy store. Because I'm sure right. there are women stories like that too. Sure. I just sure. don't have any. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. We'll just assume that there are some. <laughs> I think that's a great rule. And, and so doable. I, you know, really sort of silly not to. I mean, my gosh. But yeah, there were, there were two things that happened at the beginning of the pandemic. Number one was that small business owners had not saved money, okay? Most of my clients did not fall into that. Um, number two was small business owners didn't have good financial statements because to get your PPP money, you needed good financial statements and, you know, tax returns and all the right. other things like that. And if you didn't have good financial statements, you probably didn't get a PPP loan. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's, it was very easy to apply because here, here's two years of P&Ls and balance sheets, here's up to February, it's done. And here's our tax returns and it's done. I mean, it's like send it in and they got approved, you know? So, you know, when small business owners hopefully learn from this, um, number one, and number two is, who knows if I hope it never ever happens again, obviously. But yeah, if you know, if we're in a situation where you have to get PLs and balance sheets to somebody really quickly and they're not accurate, I mean, what are they gonna say? Yeah, no. Right. I'm gonna take a quick sponsor break and then I have some more questions for you. Accelerate your business growth podcast is happy to be sponsored by audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have thousands of titles to choose from, as well as podcasts, Audible originals, guided meditations, and more. One of my favorite audiobooks is Everyone Deserves a Great Manager by Scott Miller. For me, I love being able to listen to it anywhere and across my devices without losing my place. And I think you will too. 
So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth to explore the variety of audiobooks and programs for yourself. All right. So is there a way that small businesses can insulate themselves like from further economic fallout because of the pandemic? Yeah, here's here's what I've asked um, and, and suggested to my clients and others is number one is to look at your customer lists. I will bet that there are many, many customers who are on your list versus how many customers are actually actively doing business with you. So one of the easy things to do is to reactivate your inactive customers. And I define an inactive customer as somebody who hasn't used you, your company's services in 18 months. Okay, See what you can do to get them back. And what I would do with current customers is say, you know, what, you know, how are you doing? Can we help now? And just, you know, keep in touch because yeah. everybody's going crazy. And, you know, if you can just keep it in touch and make it from a perspective of, you know, letting them know that you care, um, the likelihood is that they'll come back at some point in time, you know, restaurants, who knows, but, um, it's interesting for those of the people that I've worked with who've taken the reactivating the inactive customers to heart. And it's amazing how much work they're doing just from inactive customers that they hadn't talked to. Many of them had said, oh, I thought you went out of business. You don't talk to me yeah. for a year. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, I'm, I'm so glad that you said that. It, it's, I, I know like at the beginning of the pandemic, people were saying to me, well, I mean, can I really sell? You know, it just feels insensitive. I don't know what's going on. And my response was, okay, let's just, I mean, because my belief is stop thinking about selling. I, I, you know, could you just reach out to people and see how they're doing and see yeah. what's going on yeah. with them yeah. and what do they need and how's the pandemic hitting them personally and business-wise? And sure. right, because Absolutely. if you're not in front of them, your competition is. Yep. So be be you know don't don't let and i and one guy even said to me um that he wished he had been in better contact with his customers before the pandemic because they they would have he would have been able to have better conversations with them when it hit yeah I will, I, I will give you what had happened to two owners that I know of that are restaurant owners. Um, one of them owns the oldest steakhouse in Florida, happens to be in Palm Beach. And, and the other one I think is in Michigan. I think he's in Michigan. Well, anyway, both of them had north, you know, had four figure email lists when the pandemic hit. So they kept in touch with their customers. They obviously did things from a perspective of switching from in-person dining to delivery. And they all had specials every week that somebody could take advantage of. They all talked to them. It was amazing how well they pivoted from an in-person dining experience to an experience that they could have in their homes. Oh. Um, and they had, and they had built up the customer base to be able to do it. Both of them did it. One of them is a huge, and uh, he probably would hate me saying it, but it's a, it's a pizza company and, but they do cool pizzas. It's not like your Domino's or your, you know, um, 
Papa John's or you know one of those. They were really cool. They had um, vegetarian pizza and they had gluten-free pizza and they had all these different pizza pies and stuff like that. I mean, cool stuff. Um, but they did the same thing and they took their servers and I don't know what the insurance things were, but they actually turned them into the delivery people. So they didn't, they still do DoorDash or, you know, Uber or whatever else it is, but they also gave people the opportunity to say, would you like one of our normal servers to come and deliver your pizza or deliver your meal or whatever else like that? And a lot of people said yes. Wow. Because they felt you know, they felt bad for the waitresses yeah. and the waiters, you know, it's like, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, if you do nothing else and you've learned nothing from this pandemic, two things, number one, make sure you build a phenomenal customer base and, and um, Facebook doesn't count because they're not your customers. Instagram doesn't count because they're not your customers. You know, you need an email list. You need to know who your customers are and you need to build wealth, save some money. Definitely. Yeah, and then there's another thing to building wealth and it's, and it's called recurring revenue. And all of us, I would imagine, have some form of recurring revenue that we pay every month. We pay our cell phone bills every month. Um, my daughter pays her one of her video games every month. Um, if you do software as a service, your your recurring revenue, and you pay a and you pay a support fee every month or every year, we all do something where we have somebody ding our credit cards or our checking account every single month. So the creative thing to do is to figure out what you can do, obviously to help your customers every month, but also provide them a service or a a product every month. And I'll give you a really crazy example. Um, my daughter is very creative. She is such an opposite of me. It's not funny. She's lighting, <laughs> sound design, all that sort of fun stuff. Hates math. All right. I'm exactly the opposite. I'm, you know, this numbers person and everything <laughs> else like that. So the pandemic really and truly shut down her industry. Um, think about it. There was no TV production. There was no movie production. Theater is still closed in New York. Right. Um, so, I mean, it really did. So she was sitting there working on a couple animation projects that um, hopefully will come out this year. And I was sitting in a room one morning or one afternoon and I said, Kate, what are you working on? She goes, a budget, which she absolutely hates. And I said, well, you know, financial statements can be fun. And she goes, no, they can't. And so the gauntlet is down, right? So I created Ronin the rubber duck dives into financials. All right. Fun, whimsical way to look at the world. I'm like, okay, what can I create as recurring revenue for a rubber duck who does bathtubs, right? I mean, it's crazy. So what I created for him was bubble bath and bath soaps that you send to a customer every single month. So you join their revenue, recurring revenue program. I forget what I called it, but we send you luxury bubble bath for your kids and luxury soaps that you can choose from every single month. And so that's a recurring revenue that kept that company, you know, it's a fictitious yeah. company. Yeah. But the reality was, you know, what does a bathtub guy do? Well, that was the only thing I could think of. <laughs> I love it. It's a great idea. It, it, it's this level of creativity that 
people need to embrace, right? We need to look and say, what else is, is uh, needed or desired? You know, how can we engage? Yeah, and if you talk to your customers every month, they'll tell you what they want. Yeah, no kidding. They will absolutely tell you what they want and you create it as a service for them or a product that you send them every month. Um, you know, if you do cakes or bakery items or something along those lines, yeah, probably people can't come into your bakery right now, but you can send them a cake of the month club or a donut of the month club, or, you know, I'm just, I'm coming up with crazy things right now, but I think you get the idea. I, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and what, this is so funny. You're talking about this and I'm thinking, um, so I have a friend whose family owns a couple of restaurants and um, they're like sports bar restaurants. So I keep coming up with ideas of things they can do to get more people to do carry out, yeah. you know, because that's really what's going on. I'm in Ohio and it's winter. And so yeah. that, that, that's really the thing and, and attach it to sports. So, because that's, what people know them for, you know, but you got to get a little creative with some of your ideas that the, the typical usual isn't necessarily going to work right now. No, it's not. You have to be think out of the box type thing. Yeah. Because if you do something really creative like that, and let, let's assume um, it's a sports bar and they do wings and I don't know what they do, but let's assume that they do wings. Maybe you have wings, the color of the team they're playing that month or that weekend. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Stuff like that, and you know, yeah. I got these purple wings, or I got these, yeah. you know, they're playing the Rams or something like that. Blue wings, because I'm playing the Giants, you know, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but be creative yeah. about it. Exactly. It. Yeah. Now, I have a question for you, because you, you said before that this one client of yours, 80, I think you said 80% of his business was restaurants. Mm -hmm. Okay. Will you talk some about why it isn't necessarily a good idea really you know to have really more than 20 percent of your revenue coming from a client or an industry sure um the, the guy who had 80 percent of his business in restaurants is a perfect example of when the pandemic hit i also had it was not one of my clients but i knew him he had very profitable business for about 10 years three of his major customers no joke filed bankruptcy in the same week leaving him holding the bag for more than a million dollars in receivables and he couldn't fund it and he went out of business too. Oof. All right. So my rule is no more than 20% of your customer, I mean, 20% of your customers, one customer cannot be more than 20% of your business. One industry cannot be more than 20% of your business. Um, the guy who had the 80%, what he ended up doing was literally on the golf course with his friends. I'm not joking. He did a lot of work on the golf course and he was in, and he's in Maine. All right. So it wasn't exactly you know, very, very warm at that particular time, but they played golf. He found out what they needed and he found out what his friends needed and he was able to provide that. So very quickly, the mm -hmm. business morphed from restaurants into owners of buildings, into um, government work too, as a matter of fact, now that I think about it. Um, so you, you have that issue, but you also have that issue of getting paid on time. So there were some cash flow things that we had to do to make sure that, you know, he got paid so that it didn't kill him, you know, 60 or 90 days later. 
right. type thing. But you know, that's what he ended up doing. He's, he just went to all of his friends who went to his friends who went to his friends and he started getting referrals and started doing work in every industry that he could find that was not shut down. And that's what he did. Wow. Yeah. So, so, okay. Uh, so let's talk about those companies. Well, I was going to say, let's talk about those companies that went bankrupt, but I, I don't want- Let's not do that. <laughs> and part of the reason is because, okay, so the pandemic, whatever, but in normal times, there are still an awful lot of small businesses that go bankrupt. So how does a, a small business owner really buffer themselves from ending up going bankrupt in normal times. Uh, and, you know. Okay, let's assume it's normal times. There's yeah. usually two reasons that companies go bankrupt in normal times. Number one, their pricing is wrong. Number two, they can't survive like that one client did a, um, you know, the majority, 60%, more than 60% of his business, like 90% of his business going out of business. Right. All right. So number one, let's talk about the pricing issues. Um, you have to, everybody needs to understand that pricing is just not, you know, sales minus the cost of making those sales. There's also overhead in, included in that. And as you grow, um, growth masks a lot of cash flow problems. I had a, um, a client of mine who started a business with a partner and grew the business to $2 million in, in literally, and by looking at their bank account to say, okay, we have money to pay payroll, we can take our discounts, and so we're happy campers. They ended up stalling at $2 million and started having cash flow problems, not always be able to take their discounts, couple, you know, sometimes having problems meeting payroll. And they knew that wasn't right. And so I got a phone call, went long story short, they were losing a nickel for every dollar they took in the door. Oof. All right, you'll never see it when you grow because the money from one job or one project funds the next one. And as long as there's continued growth, there's continued cash coming in the door. Once the growth stops, it's 5% less than it should be continuously. All right, and that's bad. So make sure your pricing is right, number one, and don't look at your P&Ls and balance sheets by looking at how much money's in your checking account. <laughs> Sorry, I just love the way you just said that. <laughs> right here to prove it. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh, I, you know, I just am having visions of people who I've known over the years who, who that's what they've done. Yeah. It's easy to go out of business that way. Oh, God, no kidding. Okay. No kidding. It's the thing. You know, I think a lot of people are so focused on revenue that they're not paying attention to profit margin. Exactly. Ugh. All right. And it's net profit, not gross profit. Right. All right. Yeah. My rule of thumb is this. For every dollar that you take in, you know, for if your net profit is say, let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars, and there are ten thousand revenue producing hours, it could be the people working on marketing projects, they could be producing product, whatever else it is. You're, you know, hundred thousand dollars in net profit, ten thousand hours to produce that hundred thousand dollars in profit. 
you're making 10 bucks net profit per hour. Why are you in business? I can go to a fast food company and make more than 10 bucks an hour. Yeah. Why put up with it? It's a good question. So, okay, so, but then, so how should they be looking at it? Does it depend on the industry? Because yeah. some industries have really small margins. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they're making very little net profit per hour. And if you're happy making $5 net profit per hour, that's fine. You know, but I think if you looked at those very, very large industries like, you know, and I've never done the calculation on supermarkets because I don't have their billable hours. You know, their profit margins are like two or 3%, but what is right. that in terms of dollars? Simply because you can't take a percentage to the bank, the only thing you can take to the bank are dollars. So right. that two to 3% of, you know, $10 million might actually be $30 net profit per hour. I don't know. Right, that's right. So don't look at the percentage. I mean, look at the actual dollars because that's what you can really bank on, not, you know, two guys could each be earning 10%. And I've seen this, you know, one guy's net profit per hour is, I think was about $12 an hour and the other one was 50. Which would you rather be? Yeah, well, 50. Yeah, but they both had Just 10%. So over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, okay. So there's a whole bunch of companies out there who are oddly thriving be, it, through the pandemic because they're essential. Mm -hmm. um, is there, uh, are, I wanted to say, are there warnings that you would give them? I mean, are, is there, like advice that you would give them about things they should be doing right now. Um, because that isn't necessarily going to last forever. That's true. Save 1% of every dollar that comes in the door. Make sure your pricing is where you want it to be. Okay. That, that, that seems like anyone could wrap their head around that. That's pretty easy or it simple, is. I guess, right? Yeah, it's simple. It's not necessarily easy to do. Right. You just have to do it. It's very simple to do. Right. Right. Okay. And you got to know your numbers. You got to know your numbers. Oh, okay. It's Oy. not that hard. <laughs> it's not that hard. Well, you know, says you. Well, remember the difference between financials and bookkeeping. I don't expect anybody who's a yeah. business owner, unless they're a bookkeeper, to do the bookkeeping. I, they have to understand what the numbers are telling them, though. And, you know, you can read Profit or Wealth or The Courage to be Profitable, which was my first book of the series. Go take, you know, get online and go take a class. I mean, there's so many easy ways to get it. Yeah. And it's just spending an hour or two to get it. And once you have that knowledge... It never goes away. Okay. Will you, will you, I just thought of something. Will you talk to us some about debt? Because, okay. you know, what I hear is, you know, some debt is good, but I think there's value in, in hearing from you about what you think is a sound debt strategy. Okay. There's two types of debt. There is what I call total debt and there is long-term debt. So the total debt is all of your payables, all of your tax payments and all those types of things. Um, so that's your current liabilities, everything that you've got to pay within a year. 
And then there's long-term liabilities, which are things that, you know, you've saddled your company with that are longer than a year, you know, a car note, a truck note, uh, you know, if you buy equipment on a loan or something along those lines of building, you know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So the ratios that I use is there's a ratio called the current ratio, which is current assets, which is things that are cash or turned into cash within a year and divide that by current liabilities, which are things that have to be paid within a year. And both of these numbers are on your balance sheet. And that number should be, it has to be at least one, should be increasing. Um, depending upon your industry, it may end up being 1.5 or two, but it should always be increasing, which means that your profitability is increasing most of the time. The long-term debt, which is the, what you've saddled your company with, should be somewhere between zero and one. Long-term debt divided by equity should be somewhere between zero and one. And then you don't have too much debt that you can't um, actually pay it in most cases. So, I mean, I don't think debt is necessarily bad. I mean, if you go out and get a truck loan for, let's say, you know, $500 a month, but as a result of that truck loan, you can, that truck can earn you $10,000 a month. Why wouldn't you do that? Right. Now, if you're right. going out and buying that stupid boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're back to the boat. Okay. <laughs> that's dumb debt. Yes, that would be dumb. <laughs> oh, but that's not a business expense. Uh, let's be clear. Well, unless, that you're, was unless taking, you're a captain or something. You know? Yeah, that was taking money out of the business. Right. To do something dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. I agree. Oh, my goodness gracious. Expensive um, lesson. Oh, no kidding. Well, you know, I guess as long as he learned it. Uh, yeah. Know. Right. It's expensive. Yeah, I'll say. Um, and and what you may have said this already, so I apologize if you did and, and I didn't quite catch it, but what is a cash flow budget? Okay. I did not mention cash flow okay. budget. Cash flow budget looks at incoming and outgoing cash. And I'm going to do it on a weekly basis because that's okay. generally what happens. And then you can do it on a monthly basis and forecast. But generally, what you know, if you imagine a tank, you know, and instead of the tank having water in it, a tank has cash in it, and there's a spigot on top that you open to get more cash, and the level of of cash in the tank rises, and then there's a drain on the bottom that you open up, and the level of cash decreases. All right, so mm -hmm. getting cash in the door is is by collections. It's not the sale; it's the collection. So you know, you get it from collecting money for the work that you did. You might get, you know, two cents of interest, you know, from a savings account or something along those lines. You might sell an asset, um, which often doesn't happen very often. You might take money out from a line of credit or a loan. That's how you also get money in. But generally it is from collections on sales. All right. So, you know, January 1 at 12.01 a.m., there's a certain level of cash in this tank. We open up the spigot during the month of January or the week of January 1st, we get money in and the level of cash rises. And so the end of the month or the end of the week is done, close the spigot. 
And then we get to pay our bills. So we open up this drain and we take out for payroll, we take out for rent, we take out for the utility bills, we take out to, to pay our suppliers and the level of, of cash, excuse me, the level of, yeah, level of cash in the tank goes down and down and down. You gotta close that spigot and have at least a penny left in your checking account or you're in trouble. So <laughs> that's cash flow. And then where you start that month, you know, again, you open the spigot on top and you let cash in the door from collections, basically, and a few other things. And the level of cash in your tank rises and then you close it off and then you pay your bills and the level of the cash in your tank flows down. And so that's that's basically a cash flow statement, kind of visually. And then that's you just so put great. the numbers I down. I love on that paper. visual. Yeah. Okay. You just put the numbers down on paper. Okay. Yeah, I like that. That that is easy. I, I like easy. And what's so bizarre is that you're making this sound so easy, and it's accounting. Uh, which... It's financials. It's not really accounting. Uh -huh. Accounting is debits and credits. Yeah. Left side, right side. Yeah. Yuck. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I hate that piece of it too. I I let other people do that. I love the financial side of it. I don't like the accounting side of it. I can do it, but I don't like it. Right. Well, no one does. But this is this is so great because this makes it really palatable. Like, you know, just having this conversation, you know, what I'm hearing is anybody really can do this. Yeah. Which is phenomenal and should because it gives you that control back. Mm -hmm. Instead of your business being in control of itself and doing whatever it's going to do and you not really having an eye on that just paying attention to this it can, gives you that knowledge that you need to make better decisions yeah otherwise it will bite you in the butt when you least can have it bite you in the butt exactly so you had said before that um looking at the balance sheet once a month i mean is that the time frame you know would you say how frequently should a business owner be looking at their financials? You should have a P&L and balance sheet on your desk from your bookkeeper within 15 days of the end of the month. These days, preferably 10 because everything's online. Right. And, and then you just spend 10 or 15 minutes. You know, when you first get started, it's going to take you a half hour to actually review the financials, do the, the graphs and the ratios. And I mentioned the current ratios. You know, there's, there's 10 of them. And they, they don't take long, put them on a graph that takes you about five minutes and you can see what's going on in your business. Nice, nice, totally doable. Yeah. Wow, Ruth, I really appreciate this. I, I am enlightened and, and not so freaked out about uh, <laughs> financials. <laughs> Mine are easy. So, you know, uh, thank you so much for that. So will you tell the listeners not only how they can find you, but how they can get your your books and what you've got going on, please. Okay, um, all of my books are on Amazon, um, Profit or Wealth, which is the latest one, and it's Prequel, which is the Courage to Be Profitable, and then there are three others. You can go there. You can go to the website that's profitorwealth.com, or you can go to my personal website, which also has everything, which is ruthking.info. You can get to me in any of those ways. Okay, great. Sorry, I had to write that down. 
Fabulous. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate this. I think this has been tremendously valuable. Uh, and listeners, thank you, man. You, you really need to listen to this one and really pay attention to it and then do these things and make sure that you're understanding them because it really can make a difference and you can start now, right? There, there's no time like the present. And I would also like to thank our sponsor. Head on over to audibletrial.com slash business growth. Sign up for the free trial and explore all of the content that is available to you there. It is not just audiobooks, though there are thousands of them. And if you are um, struggling with sales or know someone who is, uh, head on over to your favorite bookstore and pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.